Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. My hope is that that is why we meet every week, that it is great to be the church, and there's so many amazing things about being part of a church, but at the end of the day, why we're here is because we put our life in Jesus' hands, and so it's great to worship with you this morning, and it's great to be back at One Hope today. Now, how I'm going to begin today, I know that probably not everybody has ever done this, but have you ever played laser tag before? You ever played laser tag before? Or have you ever seen anybody play laser tag before? You know, if you don't know how laser tag works, is you go into this room and um, you have a vest on, okay? And on this vest are all these um, targets on your back, on your front, all the things. And your job inside that room is to not get shot by the lasers from the other team. So you go in the room, and, and, and it's kind of a maze. There's kind of like walls, and there's high and low and all the things. And you're trying to win against the other team. I was thinking back this week to a time when I was so frustrated one time. And you know, Pastor Scott, he's competitive. I'm that guy. We, we know this. And I was, I was just, I was getting destroyed. Like, it seemed like every time I came around a corner, it's like, bam, got me. And, and what happens is when you get shot, you get this little, like, little rumble, like you're, you're, you know, like you just failed, right? So you get this rumble. It's like, okay, I got to hide out and, and I'm going to come out another side. And I come out, bam, got me. I can't go anywhere. It feels like I've got this, I do literally have targets on me, but it seems like I'm failing time and time again. And so the game ended that time and I, I leave. And when you leave these, these um, arenas or whatever, you go out and there's a TV up there and you get to be like shamed if you're like, you're terrible because it shows the scores and all that. And I don't know if I finished last, but I might as well, right? I just, I just, I hated that day. And so I began to think there's got to be a different way because I can't stand losing pause that story. We'll come back to it, okay? Because today, we're going to continue in this series, the, the God of, right? For the last several weeks, we've been looking how God moves in all these different places, and um, we were in the Old Testament for a bunch of weeks, and now we're moving in the New Testament to see the work of Jesus, and today's a conversation that I think every one of us needs to evaluate uh, our lives with that we all need to have this conversation because you are like me in a laser tag environment that there's a lot of losing going on and we need to find another way to live and so the story we're going to walk through today we're going to go to luke chapter four okay so if you got your bibles and i do recommend every week you bring your bibles you can use your phones we're going to have it on the screen but we want to engage with scripture it's what we do it's god's word to us and so we're going to go luke chapter four today and we're going to see a story of jesus and how he worked in the valley or in the wilderness um and if you've missed any of our series to know what we've been talking about, you can go back online and watch all those. But this is the God of, and we're going to look at the valley today. Can I read it for you? Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. 
for 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If then you'll worship me, it'll all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall not worship the Lord your God. You shall worship the Lord God, and you shall only serve him. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you, you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The question for you to wrestle with today, the question I've been wrestling with this week, what or who is winning the battle of temptations in your life? We all have them. Sometimes we know they're going on and we experience them full on. We, 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 we wrestle with them. Other times we don't know they're happening or we don't realize it and we're losing because we're not identifying them. Who or what is winning the battle of temptations in your life? The good news of today is that God wants us to experience victory inside of this part of our life, just like Jesus did. But before we go to the specific temptations, before we talk about what Jesus walked through, I want to pull back a little bit. I want to give you a bigger picture of what's happening in the text. You know that I like to do that. Hopefully you enjoy it. That makes the story bigger, kind of, of what's underneath, or maybe things that God is reminding me or showing me this week through this text. Now Luke, we see, is the author and Luke has authored two different letters or books, whatever you want to call them, the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Luke was not one of the original apostles like, say, Matthew and John were. He was a historian and a physician. You know, people have different thoughts on that. But what he would do, he would gather information from firsthand accounts from people. And his goal was to share the story of Jesus so it could be passed down from generation to generation. That's what we're walking through right here. Now, this letter was written at approximately, give or take a few years, approximately 85 A.D., and what I want you to imagine today is what it would have been like if you were a Jewish man or Jewish woman and you hear or read this letter for the first time. What you would think about, what story would cross your mind when you hear the first sentence of this story. Let me remind you. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness 
for 40 days. What story, if you were a Jewish man, a Jewish woman, would pop in your mind if you read that sentence? The second week of this series, Pastor Dick Emery spoke about Exodus 16 and the Israelites walking in the wilderness, right? How many years did the Israelites wander in the wilderness? 40, right? We know this. They wandered and they wandered and they wandered. And during those 40 years, if you read that story, you'll see something happens quite frequently. Over those 40 years, God would test the Israelite people. And the problem with their story was, because they'd walked for 40 years, um, they, they never got to the promised land, they never got to experience what God had for them for so long, because they kept failing the test. They couldn't get into what God had for them because they would go against what God had for their life. Just one example of this is, I spoke about it, I guess week one maybe, is Moses goes up for 40 days to the top of Mount Sinai and God gives him the Ten Commandments and he comes down to the, where the people are and what have they done? You remember, right? They've gathered all their gold and they've made an idol for them to worship. Now they had told God, they had committed to God, he had spoken to them about having no other gods before him and they have they, they created this God. They have failed the test. They spent 40 years wandering and learning these lessons. This, I believe, is what would come to these people's minds as they read this account from Luke. Jesus fasts for 40 days, and he goes into this valley, goes into this wilderness, and he is tempted. Now, the second thing, before we move on to the specific uh, temptations, and let's talk about this idea of temptations. The word for tempt right here is the word parezos. That is the Greek word for tempt, okay? But did you know that the same word for tempt, parezos, is the same word in the New Testament, test? that they use this exact same word throughout the New Testament. This is why it's important. When it's in conjunction with the spiritual enemy, the word is translated tempt. When the word is in conjunction with God, they translate the word test. Why does this matter? Like, I don't want to take you back to my college days of just like, let's talk about these words. But this really matters when you begin to do word studies of this. Because there's something I want you to remember for the rest of your life. That throughout Scripture, God has moments where he tests his people. Why? God is trying to grow and execute something in our life, something in the lives of the people when we see the word parezo when it comes to the test. He's trying to grow faith. He's trying to grow character. He's trying to grow trust. This is God's plan. When the enemy brings this exact same word, it's translated tempt, what is his angle in our life? It's always for destruction. This is why John paints this picture in John 10.10, 10, a famous verse where it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his angle. But God 
Jesus has come that they may have life and have it to the full. In our Bible, the text, the same word is used, but the purpose is two completely different angles. So, the Israelites are in the wilderness for 40 years and they failed so many of the tests that God had put into their life so it could grow how they follow him. This was the story of the Israelites that people have been thought of. But now we've got Jesus in the wilderness himself. But his story is going to be completely different for the readers because Jesus is completely different than Moses and the people who came before. Jesus is going to accomplish. Jesus is going to live in victory. Jesus is different than anything they've ever seen before. Moses, it, Luke is writing this story so it can be passed down from generation to generation that the good news of Jesus is he's different than anything that's come before. And this hopefully is going to inspire them that they can put their trust in him because he has walked through this real life story. I think that's what the writer of Hebrews was talking about in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, the writer says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been what? Tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he is different. Yet he did not sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Luke is writing this story, and there's a reason he's including this story. There's a reason why every author of the Bible decides this is what I want to show the people, that he's showing them. You know the past, and you know the story. You know how the wilderness worked. Jesus is doing something different. He has walked through temptations. He's walked through pain and trials of temptations. The enemy was trying to destroy him, but he did it without sinning. He passed the test. This is the story of Jesus. And so you've got this high priest who has walked through everything that you're going to walk through in life, but he did not fail. He didn't have to wander the wilderness for 40 years, failing and failing and failing. No, we have someone who's come before, and his story is he was not defeated. And so, Luke is sharing this story. Jesus in the wilderness. And this is a moment that I think... Sometimes I think it's hard to understand the human side of Jesus and is he really relatable because we see him as Savior and we know that he is, he is human and we're supposed to see this side of his divinity and whatnot, but it can be somewhat, it feels like a distant concept. But this is a re really relatable moment in Jesus' life because if you read the chapter before, 
okay? Read the chapter before. Jesus has just been baptized, and God the Father has looked down and been like, like, this is my son. I'm pleased with him. And Jesus is about to walk into the reason he came to this earth. Jesus is about to walk in his purpose. Jesus is about to walk in his created purpose for this world. And bam, he walks around the corner, and there is the enemy looking to destroy him before he ever starts. And this may be relatable to you, because you may be trying every day to do your best. The story of your life sometimes is you're trying your best every day to say, God, I want to do what you have for me. But it seems like you keep running into walls of temptation. You feel like you're a target for the enemy and you walk and you feel like a failure sometimes because you aren't the person you feel like you should be and you know the secrets that no one else knows. You walk in the side of you that you're embarrassed about, and you're just like, I don't know why I keep feeling like I want to walk in what God has for me, but I keep letting him down. Jesus is about to walk into what God has for him. But the difference is, he shows us, it can be done a different way. It can be done in victory. So, Let's talk about now the specific temptations that he walked through. And the question's going to be is, do you relate to any of these? Now, I'll tell you, these aren't the only temptations Jesus is going to walk through. But what I think is incredible is he's walking into the ministry that God has for him, the life that God has for him. There are some things that are cemented in his life in this moment that he will need to walk in the fullness of God. And so let's see if you relate to any of these. I think Jesus walks, in, walks into and through three specific temptations. And if you're a note taker, this is, this is where this is your jam. You're ready, ready to go. The three are temptation of instant gratification, the temptation for desire of power, and the temptation to not trust God with his life. Can you relate to any or more of those three things? Let's talk about the first one instant gratification. Jesus has not eaten for how many days? 40, right? We've done this. I don't know if you've ever done a fast before. I have not done a fast for 40 days, but I have done 14 days with just water. And, I'm, and I want to tell you, this is not an easy thing to do. One of the major benefits of doing a fast and why I recommend people living in the discipline of a fast is during the, a fasting moment, you will have the temptation, do you, do you go back to those temporary instant gratification, whatever you're fasting, say it's food, that you, you just want to eat what's in front of you because that's what your, your body craves. Jesus is human. I want to keep hammering that point. we got to let Jesus be in his humanness in this moment. He needed food like you and I need food. And so Jesus is in this middle of this fast, and enemy comes at his most vulnerable place. And he says, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. A major vulnerability in his life in this moment is to want to follow the temporary 
instant gratification for food. One of the reasons, um, there's some physical benefits as well, but the spiritual benefit of food fast and why you see this through Scripture is because this is so necessary in our life. We could talk about a lot of other things as non-essential. We want, but non-essential. Food is essential to our lives. And, and so um, this can be a hugely positive discipline when we say, no, I won't gratify that in my life. But can I tell you, Food is not the only instant gratification that people struggle with. Let me give you a few, and you can add to your own list mentally or writing down. For some, the instant gratification that you consistently fulfill in your life, um, these are going to be really practical. One is um, impulse spending, impulse shopping. This is actually one that I told Amber that I was going to say, and she goes, Scott, you know, we call this in our house retail therapy. I don't know what y'all call it in the house, but she's like, Scott, I don't endorse that this is not in, needs to be in someone's life at all times, but can you just say impulse spending outside of the budget? She's trying to create space. I, I realize this. So, so my wife is pushing back. But, but you know how this is, right? Amazon. Um, you've got your phone, which is like you can buy anything at all times. I'll say for me, sometimes late at night, I'm, 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 I'm tired but not tired. I'm in bed. Some of the worst time for me, I'll just because I'll be uh, scrolling things. and I'm like, oh, I definitely need that. I don't need that. But for some reason, 1030 at night, I need that. And I wake up the next day. I can't tell you how many times I've canceled an order the next morning going, that was just stupid. But there's something inside of me that I have this feeling like I need something to fill my life with. And it's an instant gratification of spending money. I need that thing. No, you don't. But there's something of brokenness or something in me that says I do. For others, instant gratification is I want to escape the world and I want to get on social media. And I scroll and I scroll and I scroll and it's instantly my mind is filled my instantly I'm distracted from life instantly like I lose myself in that and it can be a gratification that fills my life for other people there's this may seem weird but let me explain is I think instant gratification for procrastination that you know what you're supposed to do but you put it off because it like it, it feels good just to push something away versus doing what you know you should do this is what i want to do in the moment not that so we procrastinate for other people there's unhealthy uses of alcohol or or drugs where it's I, I, I want to escape, I'm hurting, I'm tired, I'm torn, whatever it is, and so I gratify my flesh with alcohol in an unhealthy way, and, and, and it's not doing me good, it's actually hurting me more, but my body says I want this gratification. For other people, their uh, gratification is through sexual impurities. Inside of marriage, outside of marriage. Things that are destroying us. If I can be so blunt, this is where um, cheating happens in a marriage. Because there's an instant gratification you feel and it destroys someone's life. This is where pornography comes in. Destroys people's lives. 
but it's an instant gratification. It's outside of marriages, impurities, knowing you shouldn't live this way, but this is what my body wants in this moment, and there's destruction that brings, but we're feeding an instant gratification. Another one for you, and once again, it may not be on the tip of your mind, but I think a struggle for gratifying the flesh is how we gossip and talk about people. It feels good to talk about somebody else because we don't have to think about our own selves. It feels good to put someone else down because then we don't have to think about our own junk. There's, a, there's an unhealthy gratification of, of speaking about somebody else because it gives us a feeling of superiority. You know, I talk about the gossiping thing a lot because I, uh, I deeply care about the movement of the church, and this is one of the things that people talk about, and this is one of the things that divides the church so much. Is we, even inside the church, we talk about each other, and I have zero tolerance for it. This has to be a safe place. We don't feel that instant gratification where we talk about somebody versus talking to somebody. It's not the first time I've said this, but I think it's such a danger Instant gratification, lying to avoid conflict or punishment. I lie in this moment because it feeds, it gratifies me that I can, I can avoid something in my life. What instant gratifications can you think about are your temptations in life? We have them, we do it. Jesus could have taken the quick and easy route from this. He, he could have fed and his desire for the instant gratification, the temporary need for food. But he says, man shall not live by bread alone. Our answer in life needs to be, I want more than these quick and easy satisfactions. I want what God has for me. So very simply, how are you handling the temptations of instant gratifications that are taking you away from what God has for your life? The second temptation was the desire for power. Let me read it again. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I'll give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Once again, Jesus is human. God in flesh, but he's human. Jesus was tempted with things we're tempted for, and power is attractive. To be at the top of anything is attractive. To have control and power can be something that we worship in our lives. And this is not for everybody. I will admit, this one here, some people don't care about this at all. But for some people, this is the deepest thing that controls their life. How do I get the next promotion? How do I get the next big payday? How do I get the position? How do I get the honor or the, the, the affirmation of other people that puts me up to the top? This is your greatest temptation to push for this in life. Jesus says, it is written, 
You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus' pushback is quick, concise, and precise. The power seat in our life should always be relegated to God's ability to sit there. We worship him. We serve him. Power is never to be our pursuit. But as a follower of Jesus, we fall under the alignment, under in submissive seating of saying, I serve and worship God with my life. And so you may not think you're a power-hungry person, but are you searching for position, affirmation, to be at the top? Even our search and our striving for money can put us in a place because we feel powerful. We feel in control. We feel like now we've arrived. The enemy was saying, Jesus, I'll give you this and everybody will look at you this way. And Jesus goes, nope. That's what not my life's going to be about. Third temptation. To not trust God with his life. This was actually the most interesting temptation for me to research and to wrap my mind around this week. I'm going to read it to you again. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on the hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You know what's happening here? The enemy, the devil, Satan, whatever word you want to put in, is actually using, twisting Scripture to try to use against Jesus. What the enemy is using is actually Psalm 91 from the Old Testament. Let me read it for you. Verse 1 says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say the Lord, get this, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This is where I put my life in trusting uh, what, where I put my trust in life. It continues in verse 9. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come to your tent. Listen to these words. You've heard them. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The enemy uses scripture to tempt Jesus, twists it, and basically he is saying, will you trust God? Will you put your life in his hands truly? It's like he's saying, won't you throw yourself off this temple, the corner of the temple, and see if God will show up and do what he says he's going to do? Can you trust him to really um, protect you in your life? It's almost like he's saying, Jesus in his response, I don't need God to prove himself to me. I know where I put my trust. The enemy is trying to twist it to say, can you really trust God? If you do, throw yourself off. 
and he'll prove it to you. Jesus says to him, I don't need to do that. I already know the goodness of God. I already know that he loves me. My trust is already there. He doesn't have to prove it to me. How are you entrusting God? Are you, from time to time, want to go, God, can you prove again to me you're trustworthy? Will you prove to me again your goodness? Will you prove to me I can really put my life in your hands? And Jesus goes, we don't put God to the test because he is our refuge and this is where we put our trust and I'm going to rest in that. I don't need God to prove it to me again. And after he rejected these three temptations, it says the enemy left Jesus. The enemy wants to shake your trust in God by asking yourself, really, would he follow through? How are you handling the temptation to trust God with your life, to not trust your God with your life completely? Okay, let's go back to the laser tag story. I ended that round and I go out in the middle of the lobby and I, I walked away from the people because like they don't care about as much as me like I you do your thing I got to get my strategy because I need to dominate all right like I, I'm, I go to the side and I think to myself okay I think I know where this these people are shooting me from when I came around this corner they were there and I, this is what I do like it's nuts like I'm I'm way unhealthy with my competitiveness but I'm working through this I go, okay, I know what I need to do. As soon as I get in there, I'm going to go around that corner. I'm going to get to the high ground. If I'm on the high ground, then when they come around, I will shoot them. And I go through all this. I can get low. Like, this is where my brain is. And that's what I do. I get in the room, and I go to the high ground, and my second round was completely different than the first. It doesn't matter to you. But let me tell you why I'm telling you this story. Craig Rochelle did a message, I don't remember when it was, a pastor of Life Church, and, and one of the comments or one of the phrases he used that stuck with me was the power of pre-deciding how you walk through temptations. I tell the story because before I went in, I knew my strategy, how I was going to walk through to get victory, right? Like, this is not random. It makes sense, right? I'm not an idiot, okay? So, like, I'm walking, and, and I'm looking at this story and go, okay, we're going to walk through the temptations that Jesus walked through. We need the power to decide how we're going to walk through through these before they happen. So once again, if you're a note taker, I'm actually going to ask every one of you, put this in your phone. If you've got a piece of paper, I want you to write this down. There's power in pre-deciding how you're going to walk through temptation, and I'm not going to break all these down for you, but let me just tell you. The first one is this. I will believe there's an enemy trying to destroy me. Write that down. Remember it. Take a picture, whatever. I will believe there's an enemy trying to destroy me. You have an enemy of your life just like Jesus did, and he's coming after you, and he wants to bring destruction to your life so you can't live in everything that Jesus, everything that God has for you. Jesus did it. He knew who was against him. We need to as well. The second one is I will count the cost. I will count the cost. 
One of the things we don't do prior to committing a sin is not realizing or, or, or totally counting of the ramifications if I follow through with this. Financially, sexually, any addictions, marriage, relationships, parenting, whatever it may be, if I make this decision, what is this potentially going to cost me? When I pre-decide and know it's going to cost, it will change how I walk through it. I will count the cost. The third thing is I will intentionally flee sin. The, end, the scripture says, flee from evil. Flee from it. We have to intentionally run another direction. You can't sit in the tension of sin and win the battle. You know this, right? You can't sit in the temptation and win the battle, whatever the temptation is. Fourth, I will predecide that I will live in God's truth, not my own. What God calls sin is sin, and I will live in that truth. When God tells me how to walk through and what is more for me, I will live in that truth. His truth is my truth, and I will own that his truth always wins, and I will not wrestle with God and say, well, maybe I'm not going down that path. Your truth is my truth. I will pre-decide that. Five, I will trust God is with me today. Going back to Jesus' part, he wants to walk with you. He has a plan for you. He is trying to guide you. He has more for your life than you have on your own. I trust God is with me. And lastly, I will lean into the strength of the Holy Spirit, not my own. The beginning of the story said what? I left this to the end. I didn't even comment on it. Jesus power of the Holy Spirit walked into this moment of temptation. You and I will fail on our own that we need to lean into the Holy Spirit. We do need to have guardrails. We need to have people in our lives, all the things. But Jesus was able to find victory in ways when many times we don't, in ways man, that the Israelites were failing in the, in the wandering in the desert for years. Because we can't do it in ourselves. But when, he, when we're filled with the Spirit, we lean into the Spirit and say, God, I need you to wrestle this, not with me, but for me. To be my power, because I am weak. We need to pre-decide these things before we ever get there. We're going to finish in worship today, as we always do. And I don't know if you're wrestling with any of those temptations... But if you are, I'm going to invite you to come and just say, God, help me. Today, like every other Sunday, I want to invite you, if you just come and has nothing to do with my message, but you need help from God in something, or maybe you want to thank God for something, these altars are here for you. At one hope, I want us to always take advantage of these moments and say, God, if you want to do a work in me, I'm going to give you space to do that. Because when we walk out of this room, the demands are high and the chaos is even higher. 
And if God is speaking to you today, and he wants to work something in you, no matter what, I don't care if it's my message or not, will you bring it? But there's a third thing, and it's very significant and specific for today. If you've been around One Hope for any length of time over the years, you'll know the phrase made known. Made known. October 15th, which is today, is a day over the years that we have walked through a difficult Sunday with people, or a difficult day with people. And it happens to land on Sunday this year. Because October 15th is a National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Remembrance Day. What I've learned from my wife in these conversations is more people than we realize are wrestling with and dealing with the pain of this day. So we've decided as a church that we would honor this day. And, there's, and if this is you, there is something I want to tell you. One is that we as a church love you and grieve with you if today is a heavy day for you. If this morning during this final song you need to bring the weight and the pain of what today brings, these altars are also open for you because God wants to meet you in that pain. And thirdly, if you would like to, outside this room, there's a cafe, and on, on this side, there's a prayer room. You may not even know it's there. There's a prayer room where we've got some candles in that room, and if you would like to light a candle remembering the significant person in your life, that is available for you today. Because today we honor those who are made by God, known by their parents, and will be made known through remembering and honoring their short but significant lives. If you're in here today and you're like, I don't even know what Scott's talking about, it's okay. Because there's plenty of people who do. And so today we create space for that. And so if God is meeting you in any of those ways today, there's room for you, for him to speak in your life. But can I end in prayer and then we are going to go to worship and respond. God, it breaks my heart when we don't get to live in everything you have for us. God, that we end up wandering in life over and over and these temptations end up destroying us. And God, you have more for us. And I pray that you would allow us to live in the humility of saying, I need you, God. God, there are other people today who they walk in with weights that have nothing to do with my message, but they have weights. God, will you meet them in that today, specifically for people who've lost a young child, a baby in their life, God, today?
God, will you be the God that heals and loves and reminds that you're here with us and you have more for us no matter what we're walking through. As we worship today, God, will you meet us where we are? It's your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.